In the following live session recording, Sam Warner, Vice President of Development for the Georgia Baptist Foundation, talks about a new idea for funding ministry. Come learn how your church can fund ministry with resources above and beyond typical tithes and offerings. Let's join Sam now. All right, well, I'll go ahead and open us in prayer. We may have a few more added here in just a minute, and then we'll get started. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity for just, you know, to get to spend time talking with fellow believers and talking about not only um, how we can further your kingdom, but ways that we can benefit uh, tax-wise and benefit in other ways uh, that a lot of our members aren't aware of and actually help kingdom causes at the same time. So I just pray that this will be informative for the, the people that are in here today and I pray a special blessing on each of their churches that they'll take back some ideas they can use and, and benefit from. And I also pray that you'll speak through me and help me to, to be clear and help me to just really focus on what they need to hear today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So my name again is Sam Warner. I'm with the Georgia Baptist Foundation, and I am in charge of development. And basically what that means is I'm supposed to help churches raise money and I'm also supposed to help manage that money that we help the church raise. So the two main things we do is on our fund management side, we have averaged almost 9% for the past 36 years in our ministry trust fund. So we have about 400, uh, obviously the last week or so has probably affected our total portfolio, but about $415 million, give or take, give or take a few million under management. That represents um, 1,700 plus different accounts. Most of those are church accounts. Some of those are our colleges, the children's home, the Baptist retirement communities, places like that have money with us as well. And then we also have some money for uh, Black and B Ministries. I mentioned them because of the church we're in. Um, I know um, that uh, Henry is a member here. And of course, Mel, you know, is the pastor, and so they. They are not technically Baptist, but you know, if, if the, you know, I can't think of a more Baptist ministry than Blackaby Ministries. So, so different ministries like that have funds with this as well, and that adds up to that four hundred and fifteen million dollars or so. We generate income from that for ministry, so that's part of our goal. If you have an endowment fund with the foundation, it produces income annually for you to do all kinds of different ministry. Um, if you can think of a ministry, we probably have a fund that is funding that specific ministry for a church somewhere across Georgia. And then the other side is a state stewardship. So you hear a lot about, um, and I'll just go ahead and put the next slide up here because it talks about who we are. If I can get it to work here. There we go. Um, this talks a little bit about raising funds through a state stewardship on that second one. The first one is the managing funds piece. And then I also can meet with individual families, and I'm really going to talk more about the individual side today than I'm going to focus on the fund management and the estate stewardship. But estate stewardship, what we've done over the past five, just over the past five years, and we've been doing this for a very long time, but just giving you some numbers, we've met with about 500 families over the past five years, and we've actually, that's over the past four years that we've met with 500 families and seen about $65 million in estate gifts established for those churches that we met with. So it's very beneficial for the church long term to have an estate stewardship ministry. 
One thing that's really nice about the foundation is we don't charge for that. Um, if they do create documents, they do pay an attorney for the, the documents, but we have negotiated with attorneys and we can get basically that done for $350 for a couple, $300 for an individual through our Christian attorneys for a last will and testament, living will, and a power of attorney. So all the documents that you would need. And then that last one down there that I'm gonna focus on, I'm gonna talk about um, four different things today. I'm gonna to talk about leaving stock gifts to your church or security gifts. I'm also gonna talk about RMDs. Um, all of y'all are so young in here that you don't probably don't know what RMDs are, but it's called required minimum distributions. That's something that happens when you reach 70 and a half or older, you have to start pulling money out of your retirement account. Um, and then we'll also talk about um, donor advised funds and charitable trust. So there's four different types of gifts that I'm gonna talk about today and kind of give you all some details. And I'm actually gonna show you, as long as I'm still online, hopefully it's still working. It was working earlier. I'm gonna actually go on our website and show you how you can go take a, a member of your church to our website to do some type of um, online giving or planned gift. Causes we serve. I mentioned several of these already, but we have, we have funds for IMB and NAM as well. So we have members that have left a gift, an endowed gift that funds ministries all over the world. So we, one, one example I can give is IMB last year, our income from the money we managed for IMB last year was over almost $400,000 that we gave to, to IMB. And that's every single year that we're generating that income and giving that to IMB. So, if you look at it that way, you could say we're one of the largest donors in the state of Georgia to the International Mission Board. You know, and, and of course, there are some larger churches that, that do pretty sizable amounts every year um, to both of those ministries, NAM and IMB. But we are excited that we're able to be a part of that. And basically, we give individuals an opportunity to be a part of that by leaving a gift to one of those funds. And then principles of faithful stewarding. How do we do it at the foundation? Number one, you've got to have a relationship with Christ. So it's rooted in lordship. Um, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I'm probably not going to be able to help you leave a gift because you're not going to have a desire. You're not, the Holy Spirit's not going to be leading you to, to leave a gift. Um, seeks faithful execution. Um, if you don't go forward and actually do something about it, you're not going to be able to leave a gift. So we've got to do that. Season eternal perspective. The, the reason I like to mention this one is I want you to picture um, a gift of say $50,000. So let's say that you personally can't leave a large gift. You tithe, you've tithed all your life. And then when you die, your estate's worth half a million dollars. So a $500,000 estate. You got a home that's worth $200,000. You got $200,000 in an IRA. You have $100,000 in some other assets. So you leave that to your kids. Well, you can tithe on that and your kids will be more blessed with what they receive than if you just left it all to them. So if you got three kids, you're not really affecting the kids that much. They're losing $17,000 each, you know, roughly give or take a, a few dollars on a half million dollar estate. But you've tithed on that estate, which probably hasn't been tithed on. Even if you've tithed all your life, your assets have grown. So your home's probably gone up in value, your, your retirement account's gone up in value. Those are things you haven't tithed on. So just something to think about as you're praying about, you know, what, what, um, what am I gonna do on my own personal estate? I always encourage everybody I speak to to pray about what's God telling you to do with your own estate. So if you do that and you set it up as an endowed gift for your church, 
what happens is instead of your church receiving $50,000 when you die and probably spending it, I, I jokingly say, churches are worse than kids. Kids on average spend an inheritance in about 18 months. Churches will spend it in about 18 days. So, you know, church gets a check for $50,000. They've got something they want to spend it on immediately. And there's not anything wrong with that. Sometimes it's a legitimate need and they need those dollars. And some people will leave now gifts, but we always encourage people to consider leaving an, um, an endowed gift as well as a now gift. So if you do this as an endowed gift, that $50,000 gift, then it will give $50,000 to your church. It, this is assuming a 5% rate of return, which we've done much better than that, but let's just, we'll use 5%. Um, so we just do 5% a year. Every 20 years, your church will receive $50,000 from that gift. So if Christ waits 100 years to come back, which is very possible because 100 years is a very short period of time. Most people think we're in the end times now. Um, I won't debate that or say where I think we are, but 100 years I think is realistic. That's a $250,000 gift all of a sudden instead of a $50,000 gift over a 100 year period. So, so that is the advantage of seeing an eternal perspective and thinking long term when you leave a gift and we can help you do that. Um, considers more than finances. Uh, you know, what are you doing with, how are your children being trained? Are they ready to receive an inheritance? You know, is one thing that I would ask uh, most families. Um, what are your kids gonna do if they get $100,000 or $250,000 or whatever you leave them? <coughs> Depending on the child, they may not be ready for that. So, so we want you thinking about those types of things too. Are you training them um, in biblical principles of stewardship? and then gets multiplied in community. If you, um, for example, have a women's ministry in your church and you have several widows that are involved in that and they love that ministry, they may all say, well, you know, Sam, I don't have much. My gift is not gonna make a difference. That may be true if it, they were the only one that left a gift, but if we can get 10 ladies to leave a gift to the same ministry, all of a sudden we have a huge endowment fund for that ministry instead of just a small endowment fund. So, so we want you to think about that as well in your church. What ministries are you currently doing and what can you multiply um, by having several people do it together? Now, faithfully stewarding is part of what we do at the foundation. We want, I wanna inspire you today, you know, pray about what's God telling you personally to do? How does he want you to, to leave your own estate? Those sorts of things. What does he want you to do for your own church to help your church be better steward with what God's blessed it with? So we give you direction, and then we, but the key is we give you action steps. And I wanna show y'all some of that today, and that's gonna be the fun part of our talk. So most of you probably, if you've been involved in finances much in your life, it's not super exciting, right? It's not normally exciting to talk about finances. My wife is very good. I was talking earlier with Angie. Um, she is um, our financial secretary for our small private Christian school where our kids go to a homeschool study programs called Living Science in Woodstock. And she does not really enjoy finances. She's very good at it. She does a great job for the school, but it's not something that she wants to, to do for the rest of her life. So um, I know it's not something that y'all normally get excited about, but I think with these four different ideas that I've got at the bottom of the screen up here, you're gonna see that there are ways that your church members can give and basically cut out Uncle Sam. We can't totally cut out Uncle Sam. And, and I actually, I'll, I'll be honest with y'all, I am an uncle. I've got five nephews and two nieces. So if y'all want to leave a gift you know, in your estate to this Uncle Sam, that's okay. I'm not talking about me. 
but most of us don't want to give the government anything we don't have to. So that is why planned gifts, DAFs, stock gifts, and required minimum distributions are important to you and your church members. And we're going to talk about some different ways that y'all can benefit from knowing more about these. I'm going to start out with planned gifts. Planned gifts are the most complicated, but they're also one of the most um, important, I think, for any ministry. So I'll give y'all an example of one after I tell you what it is. But a planned gift basically is where you set up a gift now that's going to benefit you personally. So the individual is going to receive income from this gift over a period, usually until they die. It can be set up many different ways. It can be a period of years. It can go to children for a certain amount of time after the parents die. I mean, there's a lot of different things we can do. It's too complicated for me to explain up here today, but I am going to actually show you all an example of a couple that set up a planned gift. Um, I'll show it to you on our website so you can actually go recreate it if you want to go back to you know, home and do it on your own. Um, but then what happens is we invest that money and we're paying income to that individual from the planned gift for possibly many, many years, depending on how long the, the person lives. And then the whole time the trust is growing, hopefully more than we're paying the individual. That's our goal is to pay the individual less income than what the trust is earning. So the trust gets larger over time. And then when the person passes away, it's a very significant gift to ministry. So that's really what a planned gift is. And I've got, um, and actually let me go, let me go to my website real quickly. I'm trying to be good and keep this close to me for the recording because everybody that's missing this is really missing out, so they'll be able to go back and listen to the podcast of me later, right? So I'm just going to go straight to my website real quickly here, and we'll come back to the PowerPoint in a minute. Okay. Welcome to the illustration for the Charitable Remainder Unit Trust. This series of charts will explain how you may benefit from the use of the trust. This trust is an excellent method for increasing income while enjoying significant tax savings. You may move backward or forward to view slides. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Okay, there it is. So basically what you'll do is you'll go on our website and you go to Solutions for Individuals. And I went ahead and filled this out ahead of time so we wouldn't have to go through it. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, you know ignore y'all for a few minutes while I was trying to fill it all in. But what I did is I put in a couple from, um, I don't know, is, is it Lookout Valley? What is the name of the church? Valley Grove. Valley Grove. Um, a couple may be from Valley Grove, may not. I don't know. So um, Diablo George and Martha Washington at your church. Okay. So probably not. But that is who I put in here. So let's see what it says about them. And I'll kind of explain how it works as we go through it. Okay, I'll show it to y'all here. So basically what happened is this couple, George and Martha, they had a piece of property that was worth about, about $500,000. Um, and it was a a lake home that they their kids had all moved all over the country they weren't using it anymore the grandkids weren't coming back anymore much so george and martha said you know what 
we need to sell this lake property. This is this is something we're not using much anymore. We just need to close that out. We're paying, you know, they were paying taxes. They weren't earning any income on this property. It was just a lake home. Um, they were paying taxes on it every year, paying maintenance on it, paying insurance, all these expenses, and no no income. And they were getting older. They couldn't maintain it themselves anymore. So what they decided to do is they were just going to sell it. And I said, y'all need to think about a charitable trust. And this is what's so cool about how charitable trusts work. So this particular trust, we took the we took the home and they gave the property to us. And their cost basis, meaning what they had originally paid for the property, was about two hundred thousand dollars. So if they had sold it on their own, so just said gone out, sold it, they were going to have capital gains taxes on about three hundred thousand dollars. Now this tax amount is arbitrary. Um, it depends on your tax bracket and a lot of different factors. But this is the middle. There's three different current capital gains tax brackets. And I just use the middle um, tax bracket in this example. So, or actually I use the bottom one, 15% is, is where that number comes from. So they would have had a capital gains tax bill when they sold the house of $45,000. Boom, right off the bat that, that first year. If they give that to us, guess what happens? Does anybody know? There's no, no capital gains. The, because the foundation is a 501c3, just like the church, um, there's no taxes due when we sell the property. So what happens is they title the property to us before they have a contract on it. They can verbally talk to somebody about selling it, but they cannot have a written contract or the IRS will not allow you to do this. So it needs to be done if you have a church member that's interested in doing something like this. It's got to be done before they have a written contract. Once they have a written contract to sell it, it's too late. So that, that's a, I, the reason I'm harping on that is that's important because we have had a situation where somebody already had a signed agreement and they tried to put it in a credit and the IRS would not allow us to give them the tax break. So they gave the property to us, we turn around and sell it, and then we fund their charitable remainder uni trust is the, is the fancy term, CRUT for short. Um, so this CRUT is funded with the money from that lake house. So this is what happens after, after you fund it. And I'll pull it down here a little bit farther. There it is. So the uh, bought growth property or stock. So, so you can both growth property or stock, you can do this with stock as well. So you have stock that's gone up in value and you're going to pay a lot of capital gains when you sell that. I've done, done it for somebody with stock as well. Um, there's, um, because of the increased value, they didn't have any income at all on this property, in this example. Um, you, sometimes they might, if it's rental property, could have income, you know, that sort of thing. So you may just be trading that rental property income for income from the trust. Um, but there's so many tax benefits that it's unbelievable. So they needed, they, they didn't really, in this case, they didn't really need the income, but they were going to be happy to get the income. They were gonna, their plan was to do some travel with grandchildren you know, with this extra income that they didn't have currently since they were getting rid of the lake house. And also, they're saving about 20% you know, in taxes by doing this. So the next step in the plan shows what happens. They bypass the gain, they increase their income, and they get a charitable deduction. So not only do they save the $45,000 in taxes for capital gains taxes, but they also get a huge tax deduction. And I'll show that to y'all on the next screen here. But the tax deduction is good that first year immediately. 
So, and I'm actually going to switch it to the second screen so I can give you all more details. So what happens here, can everybody see that? Okay. Is basically when they sell that, when we sell the property for them, make it bigger. Hopefully that bar will go away in a second here. So um, $500,000 property, $200,000 in cost, got a $300,000 gain. So you see down at the bottom, it's, it's a little bit harder for y'all to see from back there, but they're bypassing a $300,000 capital gain, which may save them $45,000, depending on what tax bracket they're in, probably will save them more, but if they're in the lowest capital gains tax bracket, it will save them $45,000. Um, then they get a charitable deduction of $266,000. Now that is calculated by the IRS. That's not something we just arbitrarily came up with. But what that is, is they are figuring out what's the life expectancy of this couple, George and Martha Washington in this case, and how long are they gonna live, how much income is the trust gonna pay them, and then they get a tax deduction for the difference basically. And it's, you know, it's, there's a lot more to the calculation than that. I'm making it simpler, you know, simpler than it sounds. But what that could do is it could save them over almost $60,000 in, in actual income taxes um, in the future. So they take that tax deduction, that 266, 266,000, they apply it to that next year. And it doesn't matter what their taxes are, but they can take that off of taxes for that next year. Now there are rules on how much you can take off in a calendar year. If you give a cash gift, you can take off up to 50% of your adjusted gross income. If it's a property gift like this, then you can take off up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. So what happens in most cases is they're not able to use the entire tax deduction the first year that they make the gift. So then they go to the next year and they get to roll it over. You can roll it over an additional five years. So somebody in your church makes a gift like this to the church through a charitable trust, um, they're gonna receive income on it for life and it shows in the next slide, principal of $500,000 goes into the trust, assuming a 5% payout on the trust, they're gonna receive, if they live 18.7 years, that's based on their life expectancy, they're 80 and 75 in this example. And, and I was just joking about them being a member of your church, this is, a, a, this is not a real couple, I just made, made all these numbers up, but, but I have worked with some couples in this age range, so, so this is pretty accurate. But let's say that statistically they're gonna live 18.7 years. Their income from the trust is gonna be $615,000 over the next 18.7 years. The reason for that is they get 5% of whatever's in the trust. If the trust grows, now this is a pretty aggressive example. This is 8%. Um, you, if I was doing it for a couple, I would probably show 6% growth in the actual um, account. But if you show 8% growth, because we actually have done better than that um, at the foundation, then you'll notice that at the end of their lives, when they pass, the church gets $869,000. So, so they took an asset that was $500,000 that was literally costing them money every year, taxes, insurance, maintenance. They turned it into an income stream, $25,000 their first year, Every year that the trust grows, they get 5% of whatever the trust is the next year, so it keeps going up every year. They potentially could get over $600,000 of income from this trust. It is irrevocable, and that's the advantage for the church. That's the best part for the church is this, once this is set up, the church is gonna receive the gift no matter what. 
even though the person's going to get income on it for life. So when this couple passes away, both of them, so second to die, the church will receive, in this example, $869,000. So the couple gets $615,000 in income, the church gives $869,000, and we were able to to basically cut Uncle Sam out of over $100,000 in taxes, all at the same time. So just a, just a very unique tool. It's one of those tools that as, I guess one of our problems as um, just churches in general is we haven't done a good job of educating our members on what is available out there. Um, the government has created these things that are legal to do and obviously we want to do everything we can to get more money to ministry and less money to Uncle Sam. So, so if I can help your church do that, I want to help your church do that. And that's, that's part of the reason I get probably more excited than I should about showing y'all things like this. So I'll just highlight a couple of things on this slide since we just talked about it. You'll notice that it, um, it is irrevocable. So that's one of the benefits for the church. But the benefit for the individual is you can do for life, you can do a term of 20 years, or you can do life plus up to an additional 20 years for children or grandchildren. So, so there's a lot of unique things that the individual can do with that. Uh, then avoid capital gains taxes on the sale of your appreciated assets. I've already mentioned that one. Receive an immediate charitable income tax deduction for that portion of the trust, and then establish a future legacy gift to a ministry. So. Uh, all of those, you know, that's not, it's not uh, the total. There are more benefits even than that. But it is pretty cool that you're able to do all those different things by setting up a charitable trust. Um, I had a, a lady um, up in North Georgia that had about half a million dollars in appreciated stock. And she was really just, she was tired of the market going up and down. Um, and she, it's funny, she, she was in her 80s and she talked to me about it. She said, Sam, she said, I just kind of use this as, is play money like I just you know the income she got off of the stock it was not her retirement it was not money that she needed necessarily and she said I just use it for ministry you know she gives something extra to the church that year um, depending on how it did you know it was going up and down but she was just tired of riding the market you know and having all the all the fluctuations so I showed her a, a charitable remainder uni trust we looked at it she um, she chose to do a six percent um, trust um, the, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. There may be less money for ministry in the future. If the trust doesn't do as well, it could eat into the principle of the trust, you know, the higher the amount is. I, I try to encourage people to look, to pray about doing 5%. I think long-term 5% does better usually because it gives the trust room to grow and you just get 5% of a larger number and you're usually better off. But, she, but it's done very well. She did it about four years ago. Um, so every year she's getting, you know, 30 plus thousand dollars from this trust um, and her church is going to receive a very, probably about a, hers was about a half million dollars and it was, it's going to end up being about a $800,000 gift to the church, you know, when it's all said and done based on her life expectancy and all of that. So, so, um, so that's just one example of how you can do something like that. And I have actually worked with somebody on a lake house as well. So that was not a, not a made up example, even though I made up the information in the, in the quote there. I've done. Yes. Um, can you share with us whether or not the beneficiary could be changed? Um, you mentioned life plus the children would be benefited, and should there be a decision in the children's minds to change it, is that also irrevocable? 
That is correct. There's a, one, once you set this up, the beneficiaries are also designated and set up. It's because of the way the IRS gives the, the breaks, they will not allow you to change it right. you know, later. So will they allow multiple recipients? They will allow multiple recipients and they'll allow you to give contingent recipients. So, so for example, if you, you know, I hear this a lot and I know none of y'all would say this about your own church, but what if my church is not here? That's you know? why I was giving it um, so you can have a contingent beneficiary built into the trust to where if your church is no longer there, that's going to go to ministry B, for example, instead of ministry A. Um, and we also have what we call cease to exist language. So if somebody chooses not to put ministry B, for example, or ministry A and B are both gone, we still will fund ministry with it at the foundation. So, so that's one advantage of going through the foundation instead of going through a private company or somebody else is now of course obviously i get the question what if the foundation is not there it is possible that we could not be there too but we have been around since 1941 we are much larger we're larger than most small town banks we have um you know a lot of a lot of assets under management so the likelihood of us not being there would probably be the rapture would be the only reason we wouldn't be there so so um and then i and i always use this example and this is not biblical but you know y'all have y'all read the left behind series anybody in here read Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series. In the first book, you know, the pastor, the associate pastor of that church and the pilot and daughter aren't raptured. So the three of them are not saved. The, the pastor, the mom, and the son are raptured. So they need resources. I know it's only seven years, but you need a lot of resources if you're trying to reach the world in seven years. So I kind of say, hey, that they'll have those resources available to, to use during the tribulation if that if that does occur like like it does in the left behind series that is uh up to debate and i won't i won't tell y'all you know what to believe there but but that's just uh, a, a fun way to think about it is that it is going to be available for somebody to do ministry towards the end so so that one is the most complicated so that's why i wanted to spend a little more time on it and show y'all that example and make sure that we had enough um, time to do that one first now the others are all the, the reason the others are important, and the first one I'm going to talk about is gifts of stocks and other securities, is these really are now gifts to the church. So most of the time when you do a donor advised fund or a um, gift of stock or security or a required minimum distribution, um, the official charitable term for that is a qualified charitable distribution, a QCD, but that means giving your required minimum <coughs> distribution directly to a ministry. I'm going to talk about all three of those because all three of those generate funds to the church immediately. Whereas the charitable remainder trust can be set up to fund the church immediately if the, if the individual does not need the income, but most of the time the individual sets that up to give them retirement income or income for whatever reason, and then they have the gift go to the church when they die. So, so this one here, um, stocks of gifts and other securities, um, we actually have an in-house process where and we have done multiple i mean we i think i was talking to pam mills my vp of trust accounting just this past week we went and met with a we met with a lady that had just recently actually a, a pastor's wife that had just lost her husband and we were helping her with her estate um, basically probating her estate and talking about some of the things she needed to do and she and i had a chance to talk about this she said that she has started to do almost one every two weeks like i think she's done about 25 this year already processed about 25 stock gifts for different churches all over the state 
ranging anywhere from about $5,000 to as much as $100,000. Um, and what happens when we process a stock gift for a church is it, we make it very simple. Um, we don't charge a fee for that. The only fee that the church has to pay is whatever the brokerage fee is for selling the stock. Um, because we have negotiated with our broker, we, have a, we get a very good rate on that. So it's usually cheaper than what the church could do it on their own. The church doesn't have to open a brokerage account to do it. They literally just send their member to our website. They can, they can call Pam directly and she can walk them through it if they aren't savvy with online stuff. But they can also go to our website and I'll show this to y'all as well. Real quickly. And what's neat about this is the individual is able to go to our website and fill out a form that allows them to make, to basically take a form to their broker and then that connects their broker with Pam who basically processes it from there. So let's see. So you just go to, um, this is under services individuals and then solutions is how I got to this page on our website so you don't have to click on anything to get here until you get to solutions it's then, not showing up oh it's not showing up there okay thanks for saying that I don't know why it won't automatically switch over it's for me okay so that's my problem so let me just completely close that out there we go I'm great at helping you make gifts. I'm not a technological genius, so. Okay, there we go. So, so basically, I went up here to services on our homepage, went to individuals, went to solutions, and then just clicked on solutions, and then just come down to this current gift, give stocks uh, and, or other securities. So you just click on that, and then this page goes through what it looks like to give a stock gift. Um, it talks about giving stocks, bonds, mutual funds, those types of gifts. Basically, you click on this, um, if you see this right here, where it says click here. So you just click right there, and it takes you to a form that the individual donor would fill out. And basically, they just type it all in and they can print it at the end and it just you know it pre-populates the form basically if you go through and answer all those questions it lets you fill in the how many shares the ticker number all that kind of stuff financial advisor name investment company all those different things the donor information where they want the gift to go so your church name and information there and then all they have to do is print that out and take it to their broker or they can just call Pam directly down there at the bottom of the screen where it says contact us and she can walk them through it if they're not comfortable, you know, trying to do it online themselves. And if we sell the, if they give the stock to us um, directly, then we're not going to try to time the market. We just turn around and liquidate it immediately. So, so if they want to try, the donor wants to try to time the market, then they need to let Pam know that, so their broker knows when to process the the trade and all of that. So. But if they are just saying, hey, I want to give it, I'm okay with whenever, whenever it gets sold, then we will just sell it immediately. And then we just send a check to the church. So we immediately turn around and, and liquidate it and send it to the church. 
Um, the uh, our brokerage fee is thirty dollars for up to hundred shares, and then I think it's thirty cents per share above that. So, so we have a very very reasonable rate to liquidate the stock for you. Um, and then there's no other fees. We don't charge a, a fee like a broker would for processing the, the sale for you. Um, that fee goes directly to our broker to actually you know sell the stock. Um, so any let, let me ask real quickly on that. Any questions on a stock or security gift um, to your church or how how you would do that? I think one question that I would have is communication to the church on how to understand this. I know that's probably where you guys would come in, but uh, leading up to the talk, leading up to the introduction of considering this, is that a one-on-one conversation? Is that something you talk to the church body about? And then anyone interested can come to this? Or, I mean, you know, how do you, how you approach that, that discussion? It's a great question. Because this is a small percentage of your church that's going to do a stock gift, you know, normally it's not going to be the majority of your church is going to be interested in this. It normally works better one-on-one. So it'd be like, it'd be an example of, you know, you let, and I can I can come speak to the church and talk about all the different ways they can give. Um, we do a faithfully stewarding your estate seminar where we encourage people to do an estate plan. So that is more focused on leaving an estate gift, not a now gift. But anytime y'all want me to meet with a group, if it's the deacons, for example, or the finance committee, um, or a church-wide you know, meeting, depending on the size of your church. Um, we can come talk about it and explain it in more detail to the entire church. But usually on these stock gifts, it's better to just, if you have somebody asking about it or talking about it, say, let me show you something on their website. You need to talk to Sam or Pam. You know, and, then, and then just get them in touch with us, and we'll walk them through the process and, and make it simple for them. Uh, you have a question? Okay. Just dumb. Just stretching. Okay. Okay, great. Um, any anybody else? Said there's always uh, communication from one of us graduating from any place, whether it's high school or college or whatever. Uh, everyone else knows how to ask. The church doesn't know how to ask very well, uh, or we haven't done a very good job in the past. And they have uh, been very uh, able to print options, even if they're just words like style transfer or things like that. Four magazines every uh, every every month from different institutions that uh, that are offering the options too. What's your advice in that area as far as any publication? Do we are we are we um, are we less than advanced in that area, or would we be too forward to go ahead and, and uh, put the ideas at least to see the idea into the people's hands to let them know that this is an available service? whether or not they think the church, regardless of the size, they think the church is too small, you don't really know how to do this or whatever. Could they tie it into the foundation and say, in partnership with the George Baptist Foundation, we have ways that you can give through the following. And then maybe we'll look, would that be? Would yes, that be and, they, and they actually can put the link from this, like to where the person doesn't even have to go into solutions, individuals, and, and try to find it. They can put a link directly to this page um, on their bulletin, on their website, you know, and we're willing to share whatever, you know, whatever y'all need to, to promote that. Um, but I think that's a great idea. And I will say this, I'm glad John brought that up, like you think your church is too small, there wouldn't be anybody that would do this. The majority of our stock gifts come from small churches. So 
you would be surprised at how many people in your pews have assets that you don't know about. So I think that's that's a key. Your larger churches, some of them have their own brokerage account already. They've already done this sort of thing. They've got people and they, you know, they feel like they know what they're doing. I still think we can benefit the larger churches as well, but but you know how larger churches are sometimes they think they, they've got it all together. Um, and I you know I met with um, I met with Johnny Hunt and Jim Law at my church a few years ago and I remember Johnny telling me, he said, Sam, you know, we talked about doing this estate stewardship ministry twenty years ago and I know we would be debt free right now if we'd done it then. And he said, We just got busy. We just did you know, you're thinking about now stuff all the time and that's what happens with most churches, you're just thinking about the now stuff and you can't focus on that stuff that's gonna take a long time to mature. So um so it's always it's always valuable. I mean the large churches they think they have it all together, they usually need our help as well. So uh, that that's where we're at. We were a large church. And uh, we are debt free, but our building is hurting. Need, need some maintenance, yeah. Uh, we need new ministries to reach the new the new people. Now, I love what you're asking because I'm also web presence. Do you guys have any kind of templates or places you could point us to that maybe the verbiage that they have out there on the web link and or a templated brochure that we could... I do, I do. You know, you know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, I do have some resources. And what I would love for y'all to do is... Number one, you can you can always email me and say, "Hey, our church needs help. We need resources for this. We want to put this on our website. We want to do this or that." Um, I have a communication specialist that can send you all kinds of stuff. We just created a card that's going to go out. Um, I think we're going to mail it either this Friday or or next Friday. We're mailing it out in the next week or so. But basically, what the card is, one side of the card is on stock gifts. What, what we're realizing is that most churches don't know about stock gifts, and they're not they're not utilizing that and not talking about it in their own church. Um, so, um, obviously, he just created that, and it's it's a pretty cool, just a little one page you know sheet, and he can send you a PDF of that, you know, and, and I could get that to you, and y'all can use that in your bulletin. You could put it on your website, you know, that sort of thing, and it would just direct people to us for help but it would benefit the church directly. And y'all being an older church, we talked about that earlier, um, how the majority of your members are over 50. So with a, with a church like that, there's more potential for these, these types of gifts. And the next two that I'm gonna talk about, there's even probably more potential. Um, and we'll get into those and see, make sure I don't run out of time here. Is it go to 4.30, is that right? I think so. Okay, so we still got plenty of time. But yeah, let's go back into our next slide here and I just and I hope that y'all are seeing that it is user-friendly that it's very easy to get our website and do a lot of these different you know things and that we try to make it as easy as possible because this is one of those things that people don't know much about it they don't know what they're doing they're like you know Sam I've never heard of that before I don't know how to do it I've heard of it but I don't know how to do it what am I gonna do so so this, um, this next one, um, Donor Advised Funds, um, and actually I, I missed this earlier because I went too far, so this was actually my second one. But so the gifts of stocks and the securities we just talked about, and I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but that was, uh, that was an old share of Coca-Cola stock that was on the, on the page. We had a lady back, uh, this was about 10, 10 or 11 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, um, over in Noonan that left, and this is this is an example of why our churches need to talk about leaving um, gifts to the church. She left 
I think it ended up being three or four million dollars worth of Coca-Cola stock. You know, several, many, many shares, you know, a few thousand shares of Coca-Cola stock. Um, and she left it to IMB and to a couple of other ministries. And guess how much money she left to her church? $5,000. So $5,000 to her church. Um, and she loved her church. She'd been there for years. And guess what? She probably would have left a significant gift to the church if somebody had asked her or somebody had told her that she could. So it wasn't, um, you know, she had all this money. You know, nobody knew it. Her house you know, needed to be rewired, replumbed. It was, you know, this 100-year-old house. Um, she hadn't done anything to it because she just always saved her money. So, um, so she was able to do some incredible things for ministry, but unfortunately her church didn't benefit because her church didn't talk to her about you know, leaving a gift to the church, leaving a legacy to her own church. And, and I always talk about this too. God didn't have a plan B. He just had plan A, and that was a local church to reach the world for Christ. So that's why I think it's important. I would encourage all of y'all to pray about leaving a gift to your own church first. And then if you can leave additional gifts on top of that, great. But make sure that you're leaving a gift to your church as your primary gift. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to do that. So what is a donor advised fund? Um, I, I mentioned the term DAF earlier. Um, at the Georgia Baptist Foundation, we call it a ministry account. And individuals can open an account with us that basically allows, some people call it a poor man's foundation. So. You think about um, the DuPonts, the Vanderbilts, places like people like that. They have foundations that they established with you know hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. Well, the average person, even if you have a million dollars, the average person can't go out and establish their own foundation. That's not realistic. It's not, not doesn't make sense. It's not going to work. So you can open an account with us, and I now tell a really neat story on this. I had a lady call me on December 30th of last year, and she said, Sam, I've got, we had a really good year. She, she, owned, she and her husband owned a business, so they had a really good year. They had to figure out, what are we going to do with all this money? They didn't know where they wanted to give it yet. Um, they weren't really sure what they wanted to do with it, but they had to get the tax write-off in 2018 because they needed it for you know, tax purposes. So, so they, it was funny, they sent me hundred and I think they sent me $125,000. We opened this we opened a DAF account, a ministry account with the Georgia Baptist Foundation. And then, um, this, this was actually the week before Christmas. Then on the 30th, she called me again. She said, Sam, we need to send you some more money. Is that okay? Can we get it in before the end of the year? So, so they ended up putting $250,000 in this account just right at the end of the year, literally right at the end of the year. And in March, they made a gift of $10,000 to IMB and their account had already grown $25,000. So, so they basically just made a gift, you know, you know, a few months later out of this ministry account agreement. And then they've made several other gifts since then, but they, what it allowed them to do is it gave them the ability to get the tax write off for the year they needed it, but they didn't have to immediately figure out where are we going to send all these dollars? You so know, that is controlled by them. That is controlled by them. So it is, uh, what we do is we set it, we want you to set it up with specific ministries already in, in place, like it, that's on the application when you fill it out, but we, you're not required to do that. So they, they, they can put on there, this is where we plan to send the money, but of course, you know, and, and the neat thing about it too is 
it can be done a couple of different ways. It can be set up to where it's just going to go right back out. So it can just be a pass-through and they can make an anonymous gift. So sometimes you have a donor that wants to do that. Um, so that's great for somebody that's wanting to do an anonymous gift to the church, for example. Um, I'm working on one right now for a building program. So basically it will just be a pass-through. You know, it's going to be a, it's actually going to be about a million dollar gift. They're going to put it in a DAF with us. We'll turn around and send it to the church. The church won't know which member gave it. Yeah, because it's well, coming now, other, other than that, what would, would be the benefit of coming through you guys if they were only going to give it to like one, one entity? The, the main benefit for this is the uh, flexibility of not having to give it away immediately. Okay. So, so it's not, this one for the church is not, the reason this is good for the church is you may have some members that will eventually give and once it's in this fund it's irrevocable so so that you just guarantee that it's going to be given to ministry once they put it in there um, the disadvantage for the church is they may not get all the money immediately you know in in this particular um, the particular gentleman that I'm working with on the gift for a building fund his his goal his idea was I don't want to give them all of it at one time but he needed the tax write-off that year, so he was able to stick it all, you know, we're working on getting it in there this year, actually. But then he's gonna give it to the church over three years. So it just gives him flexibility, and he's able to spread out the gift, um, but he's able to get the entire tax write-off in one year, so. Sam, help us understand that uh, once the gift is given through the tab, um, the, obviously the, the, the tax deduction is able to be taken in the year that it's given. Therefore, that's why. Yes. Um, when the gift is given again to whoever they choose, whether it be the church or a charitable organization, uh, help us to understand whether there is any uh, further deductible uh, means or it has already been taken once and you can't double it. Um, that is correct. So what what happens is we provide a we provide another advantage for anything that goes through the foundation. We provide the tax receipt. So that it basically releases the church from that responsibility if you're the financial secretary, for example, and you've got to do the tax, you know, the taxable um, deduction, tax deduction receipts. So we would immediately send out the taxable, you know, basically what they need for tax purposes to their CPA or if they do it themselves or however they're going to do it. Um, so they're not able to double dip. So what happens is when they, and they can actually, the, the cool thing too that we have with our DAFs now is they can get online and make gifts online. So they, they have a portal that they can go into, they can go in and see their DAF account, and they can say, I want to give to this ministry. You know, and if basically most people are going to give it to their church, but you know, we have a variety of other ministries that the gifts go to, of course. But, so, um, but they don't get another tax deduction from the church for that gift. It shows that it's coming from the foundation they can still, they, they don't have to give it anonymously, so they can show that it's from them if they want to. Well, um, you have an option cut, on that. The check is cut from the foundation as it gets to the church. Is there an explanatory paragraph that says this is coming from the Sam Warner Foundation or, or ministry fund? Yes. And uh, is not to receive credit to, with their, with their, with their, yeah, their financial advisor or their treasurer understand? It's a couple of, um, it's yeah. like a little two sentence like yeah, explanation, yeah. yes. Okay. That, I just, I just that. thought it'd be good for us to have clarity that it, you can't yeah. get it now and then get it then. You, you, you're right. making a larger gift and then you are staggering it based on your decision as to who to get to and when. Is that correct? That is correct. All right, thank you. And that even helps bookkeeping because normally 
financial secretary would turn around and give a, we'll say a receipt yes. or an accountable, but in this instance, that would not happen because you tell them we've already done that. That's correct. They, it, it, and I don't remember the exact wording, but right. it basically says the donor has already received right. their taxable, you know, what they need for tax purposes, I think is, is how it's worded. So that's something that would be helpful for some who churches that have never received it before, that they would get, get some type of instruction. They wouldn't get surprised, yeah, and say, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so so that is, um, that's one thing about a DAF. And then another thing about a DAF, too, and I'll talk about the the qualified um, charitable distribution from the required minimum distribution, the RMD, in a second here. But, um, but I wanted to show you all what the ministry account agreement looked like real quickly. So if you look at, if you pull it up, basically what the individual would do is they would just print this form off and they would fill it out and then they would decide, do we want it endowed? You can choose to endow a DAF. So they could set it up to where it's just gonna pay income. You know, it's just gonna earn income and just pay out the income and not touch the principal. They can choose to do it blended, meaning they can give gifts out of it and pay income from it or they can just do outright account. This particular couple did an outright account, so I think their plan is to give away all of it this year, you know, that $250,000 gift we got last year. Um, <coughs> at least it looks like that's what they're gonna do because they've already given away several gifts. But, but they could choose to leave some in there if they wanted to, you know, let it continue to grow and, and keep doing that. Then they can, um, they can choose um, to fund it you know, you can choose to fund it on a regular basis. So they can set up an automatic draft and fund it every month if they want to. And then it talks about charity, information, distributions, authority, investments, just basically everything that they are signing up for when they open the account with us. And then down here's the distribution schedule that I talked about. So this is where we encourage them to go ahead and put their church and or other ministries that they want income to go to or outright gifts to go to. Uh, but they are not required to do that on the front end. They just are required to give it away eventually. And then that right there, it talks about recognition. How would so. an individual trigger a gift um, if, they had, I don't, if they had not put in a distribution schedule? Would that be? They can go online. Okay. to. They, they actually will have what we call our, um, it's called ministry client view, is, is our online banking. It's, if y'all are familiar with your online banking personally for your own online banking, our ministry client view portal looks very similar to that. And they would they would have a login, they would go in, they would pull up their account, and then they could say, I want a gift to go to so-and-so for this amount. And then, they, and then we would process it. Would there be a limitation or at least a recommendation as to how often that could be done? You know, it's, it's one of those things that we don't put a limitation on it, but we also don't we don't encourage somebody to say give ten dollar gifts here and there like multiple times a month like for us processing that many gifts would not really make sense and it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for the, the donor either um, so we don't encourage you to use it that way is is a small little gift here and there but but it can be used that way so we don't put a restriction on that or limitate limitate somebody from you know say you cannot do that but here you can they can make everything anonymous if they want to now they don't have to they can they can make individual gifts anonymous. When they go in and do a gift, they can make that one gift anonymous if they want to, if they haven't signed up for the anonymous option. And then if they want somebody to get acknowledgement, they can do that there. So there's several options. And then of course, they're able to change all of that on um, online in their ministry client view portal. So they can go in and make changes to their options even after they set up the account.
So any other questions on, on DAFs, donor advised funds? I got one. Can the same person who set up the DAF in 2018 add more money in 2019 or they create a different DAF? They can add to it as many times as they want. So, so once you've set one up, that account is open and you can just keep adding to it. Um, now, if, if you totally liquidate it, we would leave it open for a certain amount of time and if it stayed at zero balance for a certain amount of time, I don't remember what that, I can't remember if it's six months or a year, but if it's zero for a certain amount of time, they, they will close out that account just like your bank would. So this is, that, this is a picture of that card that I talked about earlier that's going out. So I can get y'all a PDF on this as well that you could use. But basically, we do fund management and we, um, we shoot for 7.5%. That's our goal on fund management. Um, and we have done the last, um, last quarter, 6.30, we had ended, we were at about 8.8% um, since inception. So this particular ministry trust fund that most of the funds are in um, has been around since 19... Um, October of 83, 1983. So that's how long that fund has done, um, almost 9%. And all of the, um, anything that we quote in anything that's on our website is what's called net of fees, meaning that is what the church actually received after our cost recovery fee. We do charge a 0.55% cost recovery fee, and that's really where our budget comes from. So that $415 million that we manage um, we get a 0.55 percent, which is a, which is a very very low um, charge. Your normal broker is going to charge between one and a half and two and a half basis points, and that's about a half a basis point. So, so we're a third to a fifth of what a normal broker would charge to manage the funds, and that's basically what we've done is we've just pooled all these Georgia Baptist dollars together to give our churches, no matter what size they are, the opportunity to basically not only benefit from that, but also pass on that benefit to small churches that just have $10,000, for example, to put in a fund. The minimum to open an account is $10,000 for a church. Now, the, the DAF accounts, minimum is $250. So a DAF is, is very small if you want to open. church to be able to do this with you guys, then y'all are working 5% on with them. So if they've got, I would say $50,000, they put it with you guys, and it's kind of like in the stock room mutual fund environment. Right. It's it's technically not a mutual fund because we buy and sell all the assets in our ministry trust funds, about 500 different, um, you know, different um, assets in there at any given time. But um, it does work like a mutual fund in the sense that our goal is to keep it level. We want to protect the churches from the downside of the market and make sure that we're giving them a great rate of return but if we have a bad year in the market, it doesn't drop as much as everybody else. My best example for that that I can give is in 2008, um, the market lost between 40 and 50%. Most people, um, I don't know if y'all personally lost in your retirement, but I lost about 40% of my retirement that year. Um, it dropped about 40%. We dropped 22%. Um, and the best part about that number is we regained the losses by 2010. So in two years, we, we had recovered. It took me personally about six years in my own retirement to recover from 2008. So, um, so we protect you from the downside of the market. We recover faster. We're not going after the crazy you know, 25% gains. 
but that seven and a half percent target has been a very good target for us, and we've actually you know, been able to do closer to nine percent um, since we since we started that fund. So, but we just talk about five percent because number one, we want to be conservative, and we also encourage the church not to pull out more than five percent a year if they're going to use it as an endowment because we want the account to grow so the amount every year grows. So. A larger endowment fund, 5% is more money the next year, you know, every year that it grows. And then the other side is that um, processing stock gifts. That's a little bit of what's on the website, but also just a quick you know, one page on how to process a stock gift and what to do. And it's got the links down at the bottom um, for our website. If the church wants to go, so that your ministry assistant or your financial assistant needs to go, there's one for ministry, and then there's one for individuals. With the individual wants to go and fill out the form, there's two different spots to go on our website for that. And then I'll close with this. This is um, I mentioned this earlier, but I think what what a lot of people don't realize is when you um, when you leave something to your kids. Uh, most of the time they're not prepared for it and they also usually are very good at spending it quickly. So the average inheritance um, is spent in 18 months and I always like to highlight that statistic because I think it's important for for y'all as, as you know some of y'all probably are parents some of you may not be parents yet but but if you have kids or grandkids then you know what I'm talking about that they, they can spend money pretty quickly and another thing that's interesting is if you do a great job of training them in stewardship, the likelihood of them hanging on to it is a lot higher as well. So you can actually increase that number and, and hopefully help them hang on to those dollars and actually be a blessing instead of a, a curse as it happens in a lot of cases. Uh, most of y'all are probably familiar with all the lottery winning stories. Um, and how quickly, I'm always amazed because they get so many millions of dollars in some of those cases and how quickly they're able to blow through, in some cases, you know, $100 million or more. But unfortunately, that's what happens. You know, when somebody gets a large lump sum and they've never had a large lump sum before, they don't know how to handle it. And, uh, and, and a lot of people have their hands out too. And that's, that's the sad part about that. And that happens when somebody receives a large inheritance as well. You know, people will have their hands out and want um, help and want things from that individual. So, so there's some things you can do personally, the, the charitable remainder trust we talked about, you can actually do what's called a give it twice trust in your estate plan. Um, and that is, it is a version of a charitable remainder trust, but what's really cool about a give it twice trust is you can, if you pay 5% out to the kids for 20 years, they'll receive whatever you put in the trust and then it goes to ministry at the end. So I've seen a lot of couples do that with part of their, not all of their estate, they'll leave some cash to the kids or some you know, asset, maybe houses and things like that. But then they'll put their retirement account, for example, into a charitable trust. Because one thing that most people don't think about is even though estate tax, the estate tax exemption currently is $22.4 million. So most, most of us, now John might have a problem, but most of us in this room don't have a problem with that because our estate's not over $22.4 million. But um, everybody in here is gonna have an estate tax problem because of what's called IRD taxes, irrespective of decedent taxes. And those taxes are due when the person passes away on qualified money. So 403B, 401K, traditional IRA, 
anything that's tax deferred that's in your estate, your kids have to pay taxes on that when they inherit it. So, so it doesn't matter what you, you could only be worth $100,000. And if a, and if 75 of that's in an IRA, kids are gonna pay taxes on it. So it doesn't matter that your estate's not a, a huge estate. So we always encourage people to put language in their estate plan that says if you have charitable, if you have qualified money, use that to fund either the gift to the church, to fund a trust, to fund whatever you're putting in your plan as a gift. Use dollars from that qualified money first to what, to what extent possible is the way the attorney words that because he can't specifically say use that money but he'll say to what extent possible, you know, use those tax deferred dollars. And then that way the kids win, the church wins, everybody wins because you're, you're cutting out Uncle Sam in that regard. So let me just open it up. We've still got a couple of minutes left. Um, what questions do y'all have um, for me specifically? Any questions about any of the crazy stuff I've talked about today? I got one, Sam. Um, since you already have a will, and you did all <laughs> and you like some of the stuff that you heard today, uh, what what do you do about changing things? Well, that is that's a huge um, that's a, that's a real positive. With you're in the right spot, I'll put it that way. Are you on staff at your church, or are you the pastor? I'm the pastor. Okay. Um, this and this goes for every church in here. I know most of y'all are not pastors, but I actually have funds in my budget to cover our plans for our pastors. So I can redo your plan for free. So I can take care of our pastors' plans, um, and I'll and basically I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a form to fill out before you leave today if you're interested in, in doing that. Um, the um, the rest of y'all, if you if I come to your church, the attorney has agreed to do that $350 that I mentioned earlier for a couple, $300 for an individual, and we don't charge anything from the foundation standpoint. So we just share the information, make sure your members know that they can and should do this, and then we meet with the attorney, and if they choose to, to move forward, they can. Now John has worked with several um, of our larger churches across the state and what he usually is able to get them to do is to supplement that some. So the church may have, maybe the church has a foundation and they will pay, you know, $100 of the attorney's fees or half the attorney's fees or something like that. Do you want to talk about yeah, that at all, sure. John? Or uh, most churches have some type of benevolence fund or something. So if you had, a, if you wanted to scholarship some of the individuals who really do need a, a family estate plan, but they may not be able to say, okay, look, I can give you three fifty. The norm the normal will of estate planning with, with an attorney is going to be anywhere from a hundred from a you know eight hundred to to eighteen hundred dollars. Um, and that's not a dig. I, I come from a family of attorneys, that's just a fact. So um, yeah. but an affordable thing. Now that's on a scholarship basis on on a with a church that has it's happened several ways. Sometimes there are some some very caring individuals in the church. I've had a pastor uh, approach the, the individuals and say, "Hey guys, in order to facilitate our church, can, would you, would this group of guys be willing to kick in a thousand dollars each of you, so that we can lower the cost and bring it from a three fifty down to a two fifty or whatever it would be to make it affordable." And then allow us the opportunity to scholarship anyone that we really know can't handle even that at that point. And 
then there have been, as you said, some churches, larger churches may have a foundation. Or I even had it one time, um, I uh, had a church that actually asked me to come to their business meeting and uh, asked me to, to make the presentation and they revised their church budget on the spot in order to take some monies that were not being spent in their church budget <clears throat> to do what they felt was going to be incredibly beneficial immediately and in the future. And they actually voted on it that night and changed their budget. Now that was highly unusual. And then when I had another individual who heard of the church doing that, that individual said, well, if they do more than 25 or 30, I'll do the next 30 family plans and I'll pay for that. So generosity begets generosity. And uh, a pastor in a church that catches the vision, um, it, it's an amazing thing how, how we can really bless people. Foundation has just blessed this pastor here because of that. Each of your churches have blessed the opportunity for us to do what we do through the cooperative program. And, you know, again, generosity begets generosity. And it's amazing what you do, can do, if you just approach and ask and then, of course, pray. Say, okay, God, what's next? So maybe that over-answered, but I gave you some ideas. No, no, that was good. And um, and also, um, I had I had a church recently, they... I think they they scholarshiped everybody, so they reduced everybody's price, um, and I can't remember the exact amount. I think they reduced it down to where everybody just paid a hundred dollars, like the couples that went through, and they paid for widows hundred percent. So any widow could do it for free, and any couple that wanted to do it could do it for a hundred dollars. And I don't, and I don't, I didn't ask the pastor if he had a donor or you know if they just took it out of the church budget. I'm not sure where the money came from. Now all but, the cost you guys are talking about though is. Wills and stuff like just that. the attorney's fees. That's the great thing about the foundation is we are self-sufficient, basically. So we do not um, we do not charge anything for our services. But you might be thinking in terms of okay, Sam's presentation has helped us to see what can help individuals and families. But also, then you might be thinking, okay, well, how does this benefit the church if somebody doesn't do a crud or they don't, you know, or they don't give? In the will estate planning, there's always an opportunity to do what Sam did in the very beginning, which was to challenge each one of us to ask ourselves the question, okay, if we're giving and tithing and sharing right now, then why don't we think in terms of, well, what about later? What's going on? We've discovered that uh, anywhere between 15 and 30 percent, depending on the church, will be, will be generous enough to give back to the church because the church has been generous enough to offer them an affordable will and estate plan has brought in an expert such as at the foundation. So again, generosity begins generosity. And that then, because they turn around and are challenged to say, what then should I give to, to First Baptist Church of, of, no, of everywhere? And yeah, they turn I'm around and give it back and write it within the will, and the church then is blessed because of that. Sometimes it's now. I've had one guy that said, well, my church needs it now. So he walked up to his pastor after I helped him to plan, plan his own estate plan. And he was going to give some later. He walked up to the pastor. He said, Pastor, we need a new parking lot. And I, my heart was pricked to do that. Can, 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 can you use this to pay? The pastor called him and goes, hey, you know that guy that you came and did his estate plan? He handed me a check on Sunday morning. I don't know what you said. I said, I didn't. Do, there's never pressure. So what you said, whatever he did, he gave a now and a later gift as well. So you never know yeah. until you offer the opportunity. Right. You don't. I mean, I worked with a small church in Dallas, Georgia, a few years ago, 
and and this was obviously not the norm because like you said it's you know we've actually we've actually seen more than 50 percent the last two years really of, of families that we've worked with have left left a gift so very good i mean you one out of two leaving a gift is, is incredible but i met with this little church in dallas and only four couples came and met with the attorney and all four couples left a gift so 100 i don't think i've ever had 100 percent before so that was pretty cool that we had 100 percent leave a gift and it was um, a little over a million dollars to that small church in the state gifts now of course they were all the state gifts but the thing that's cool about setting up those gifts is those individuals had to think about it and had to pray about it and now they're thinking more generously than they were before we started the process and probably all of them are generous givers you know on a day on a regular basis as well um, and it just helps increase that generosity so uh, if y'all don't have any more questions, uh, that's all I've got for you. Um, I would love to get y'all, anybody that has a, a business card or contact information, I'd love to get that. I can send y'all copies of my slides and information, and, and I, know, I know some of our churches wanted more information, so I'd love to do that. I just need y'all's email addresses. Thank you.